0: Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you for another beautiful day that you've given us, another opportunity to gather together as brothers and sisters in you, and that we might praise your name. Father, this morning I just ask that your name would be proclaimed, your name would be heard, and that our hearts would be open to your word, that we might learn, that we might grow to be more and more like you. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It's great to be out here with you guys again. I always look forward to being out here and enjoying your welcoming faces and your kind words. It's always a blessing. Uh, This morning, uh, we're just going to walk through our passage this morning a little bit, um, and we're basically, there's one big overarching theme we're going to look at. We're going to look at two ways to interpret part of the text. And then we're going to leave you with three simple takeaways from it. Um, so let's turn to Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. And let's read the text for today. Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray one more time. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. We just ask that as we walk through this that we might understand, we might see what you have for us. Um, and that we might just, in everything we do here today, we might honor and glorify Your name. <clears throat> so, over the uh, you know the past couple months, as we've been walking through the book of Romans, we've seen themes. Uh, we've seen themes of sin and justification uh, of God's righteousness, freedom from sin, faith law versus grace and the struggle against sin. It's really been, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Um, But now as we enter chapter 8, we get to a really beautiful picture of the freedom that we have as believers and uh, really kind of what's viewed as the pinnacle of this book. And according to what we've heard, we know that we are fallen by our very nature. We're born into Adam in a sinful state. God, righteous and just, provided a moral law just as a small glimmer, just as a taste of his righteousness. But even that we can't keep. And last week, as Matt spoke um, from chapter 7 about the struggle against sin, he spoke about how it's in the car with us, it's trying to take over the wheel um, and he also spoke about the law and its inability to save us instead it serves as a diagnostic revealing our sinful shortcomings but here in this chapter paul begins with a very emphatic declaration there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus and that's like a just like a breath of fresh air after what we come out of in chapter 7 with the struggle against sin it's a beautiful statement it's a freeing statement and this is the good news that you and I need. This is the good news that the world needs, that there is no condemnation. And brothers and sisters, this morning, I just want to tell you that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that statement is 100% for you this morning. It's 100% true. It's not just true some of the time. It's not just partially true. It's not just mostly true. That statement that there is therefore no now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your faith is in Christ, if you put your faith wholly in Christ, this promise that there is no condemnation is true for you today. It's true for you tomorrow, and it will be true for you for all of eternity. And until we're united with Christ again, that's great news, isn't it? Absolutely. It's something that we should celebrate. Um, it should bring us great comfort It should evoke joy, and it should give us complete assurance and allow us to live in freedom. Imagine with me for a second, I'm going to have to put this down or else I'm going to be knocking it off. Imagine with me for a second that uh, you are convicted of a crime, um, and as part of that sentence, you are spared prison on the condition that you complete a probationary period. I know that all analogies break down, but just bear with me for a second here. Yes, it's great news that you've been spared this prison time, at least for now. But in some ways, perhaps prison would have been easier. Because now you're subject to a whole bunch of rules and conditions. Rules that go above and beyond what everyone else around you really might be required to follow. You need to follow these special rules Directions, these special requirements to perfection, checking in with a parole officer to ensure that you're in compliance so that you can remain out of prison. You might be restricted from traveling, you might be required to complete community service, think good works, you might be paying fines, and so much more. The entire time that you're doing this, though, that you're in this period, you'll be fearful of making that one small mistake that will end up landing you in prison. Despite your best effort, just one oversight, one little mistake could end up condemning you. And at the end of this time, even if you complete it to perfection, you're not declared righteous. You're not found innocent. You're still guilty. You've just paid a price. And this is the way that we live our lives so often, trying to attain justification through the law, We're constantly watching over our shoulder. We're constantly waiting for that one little mistake that's going to bring the hammer down. That one little mistake that's finally going to be enough for God. He's now had enough with Matt. It's time to put him away. Because in the context of condemnation here that Paul is talking about, it's not condemnation in the way that we so often might use it conversationally. Um... We often might think of, you know, let's say I do something that's maybe not the best thing. And uh, I'm like, oh, people are going to, like, talk condemningly about me, right? Or, oh, I feel condemned, or I feel so-and-so. We often conflate condemnation with guilty. We use them synonymously. It's not the same thing. You can feel guilty, but when you are condemned, that is, it is a sentence. You are condemned to the punishment. And the condemnation that Paul speaks of here is truly, it truly is condemnation. And it's not by an earthly judge, but by the divine God of the universe, a God that rightly condemns us in our sin, not just in word, but in actual deed. Condemned to eternity of heart from him, condemned to death and decay, brought about by our, by our sins. It's an actual sentence, one that must be served and must be satisfied. And brothers and sisters, this morning, if you try to find your justification, if I try to find my justification by serving out this probationary period of the law in our own good works, every single one of us will fail. There is zero chance That any one of us will be able to keep even that small glimmer of God's perfection that we see in the moral law. And in the end, there is no chance that we can escape his judgment. And I can tell you, that judgment is a whole lot worse than any earthly prison. And so that's why when we hear no condemnation, it's big news. It's really, really big news. There's no earthly comparison to this. No sentence that we can escape here on earth can begin to measure up to what these words represent. And in Christ Jesus, we have been set free from condemnation. Despite our own struggle against flesh and sin, we now stand justified. A justification, yes, that's imputed by another, but nevertheless, we are legally declared righteous. Not just that we've paid a price, but we are declared righteous if we are in Christ, Christ, Christ Jesus. Excuse me. So that is kind of the big, the huge statement, the, the, the pinnacle of, of this book is the fact that we've arrived at a point where we've seen all these struggles. And now we understand there's no condemnation. We are completely justified in Christ. But How? Why? How does this happen? Well, what I want to do is just kind of walk down through these verses, kind of break them apart in my own way, look at them, and then uh, get to a few conclusions. But if we go on to verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. And notice once again, how, how has this been attained? It's in Christ Jesus. And the thing that it set us free from is the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life is, it's a new principle or power that is at work within us. Um, It is the power now at work within our lives for those of us who are in Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing freedom and transformation into our lives. It is freedom from the rule of sin and death that we inherited through Adam. It represents freedom from sin's controlling power, freedom that we find in Christ, affected through the working of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, it says that it is a law or a rule that has replaced the law of sin and death. Well, the question is, if God has given us the law, how can we say that it's sin and death? How How can we do that? Can God give us something that is sinful? No, I mean, as we've seen before, as Paul spoke about, the law is good and righteous. But it's the working of the flesh that has taken the law, and as it reveals and defines what sin is, our flesh that we battle in daily, it causes desires and rebellion for each and every dictate of the law. So the more you add to the law the more sinful you will become because the more definitions and categories for sin there are the more definitions and categories there is for our flesh to sin and our flesh loves to sin. Before we were in Christ we lived under these conditions where the very thing that was meant to guide us also served to stoke the flames of our flesh. That chaos that rain from Adam, spiritual death and decay. But now, in Christ, that's no longer the reality. And as we move into verse 3, we're able to see how this is done. The first part is that, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And that, of course, is referring to our Justification. And I know this has already been covered in Romans quite a bit. So I won't focus on it too much. But it is central to all of this. Once again, the law could define or reveal our sin. But it could not save us. Only God can do that. And the method that he chose, we see in the second part of verse 3, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm going to pause here for a second. Uh, Notice, excuse me, that the reason we can be justified, the reason that we are without condemnation, is because Christ came down to earth. He took on flesh. But notice it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. I don't know how many times I've read this passage throughout my life. And I never really focused in on that part in the likeness of sinful flesh. And it's very important to note that. And uh, I really enjoyed this quote from R.C. Sproul from his uh, expositional commentary on Romans. He says like this, Jesus Christ is like us in all respects, except for one. In the incarnation, all that is proper to humanity was given to the human nature of our Redeemer except for sin. Jesus was born without original sin because Jesus was before Adam, the same way that Adam was before the fall. So Jesus is not, in his fleshly form, was not subject to that same law of sin and death that was found in Adam. I never really thought of it that way before. I never thought about how could Jesus come in flesh And if all flesh inherited a sin nature from Adam, how could that be? I never really thought of that before, but I really like the way that he put that. By coming down to earth, fully God and fully man, yet free from the very sin nature that we were born with, Christ was able to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, as we see in verse 4. And it was not only by his death that he achieved this. It was not only by his death that sin was defeated. But it could only be done by one that had upheld the law. Every single aspect of it. And there was many aspects of that law. One who could perfectly keep it. And then in the end be offered as a sacrifice for us. The very thing that stirs up rebellion and sinful nature in us, he was able to keep. He's the only one that could fill out that probationary period perfectly, complete it perfectly. And by so doing, killed once and for all the power of sin in our lives. But then we, as we look through here, we see that you know this is what he did you know, to, to, to destroy sin and fulfill the, the righteous requirement of the law, but then there's these two little words, in us. And since we are in Christ and he is in us, that means that that righteous requirement of the law is also fulfilled within us, within you, within me, if we have truly placed our trust in Jesus Christ. And when we grasp this truth, it will change us all of this pressure that we put on to act a certain way, to do certain things, Christ has done all of that. But through our union with Him, it is as if all of those checkboxes have already been marked off within us. We are free from that burden. We are no longer slaves to it. And as the verse goes on to say, we are the ones... Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit and now that very law is written in our hearts but it's more than that it's alive within us it's making us alive daily the Holy Spirit a comforter a guide that law within us through the Holy Spirit is actually helpful Whereas the way that it was before, the law was an accuser, a taskmaster. And Paul is going to go on for the next few verses and talk about life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And the way that you understand this section will really help determine whether or not the preceding verses were actually good news. Or if they were just partially true if they were just some of the same old for you. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now there's a bunch that we can unpack in there. Um, And I have to admit, in many ways, there's a lot of things that I'm sure I don't fully understand. But I'm going to try to do justice to this this morning. Two mindsets, flesh or spirit. And in this particular context, in this passage, I always used to think that both of these referred to the Christian. One being a Christian who is doing good who is checking all the boxes following all the rules this to me was the mind that was set on the spirit that perfect Christian likewise the mind set on the flesh I always took to be that uh, Paul was talking about a Christian who just really wasn't very good at being a Christian yet and to tell you the truth none of us are and so when I read this text, I would always feel condemned. Where the text says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm in Christ yet. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like I'm walking in the Spirit. I feel like I'm walking in the flesh. And so the very good news of chapter 8 is Itself seemed to condemn me because I was not believing right. And in that mindset, this passage will not be encouraging to you either if that's the way that you read it. I was still trying to earn my way into God's good graces rather than rely on the finished work of Christ. My goal was to get to the point where I could be identified as a Christian whose mind was set on the Spirit, where I could be identified as a good Christian. Well, I realize that uh, as long as I'm on earth, I'm going to be fighting sin and growing in the spirit, but uh, I never really thought that I could achieve the status of a good Christian. And I think if that's what we're trying to aim for, we deceive ourselves. Our goal should be to be like Christ. But this morning, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are either in Christ, or you are in Christ if you put your faith and trust in Him. You're not a Christian who is in Christ or a Christian who is not in Christ. You are in Christ. There's There's no two options there. You know, right now we're sitting in this building. We're not sort of in this building. We are in this building. Now, I know that some of you might try to get smart with me and say, well, as I was coming in the door, I was part way in and I was part way out. True. I would say the same thing if I was in your shoes. Just bear with me on this point. We are in this building. It's the same way. If you have accepted Christ, you are in Christ. I cannot state that enough this morning because that was the thing that I battled so often in my life, not believing that I am in Christ. Not believing that these promises are true for me. To say that one who has put their faith in Christ for salvation is not in Christ and must still attain a certain standard on their own is to say that the life and sacrifice of Christ was not sufficient to his mission. <clears throat> it was fully sufficient. It is fully sufficient. It will always be fully sufficient. And it is the only sufficiency that we can ever have. Excuse me, I'm battling my throat this morning. if you rightly understand that you are in Christ and your life is fully hid in his, this passage doesn't cause dread anymore. It is the crown jewel of this book as it should be because it proclaims freedom. So when this speaks of being in the flesh or being in the spirit, if you have your faith in Christ, you are in Christ and you are also in the spirit. And if you doubt that, just wait until you get to verse 9 next week. There's no gray area there. And uh, I was very tempted to steal it from, I believe it's the other Matt, next week. But I decided to be nice and not take that away from him. So next week you'll find out that if you are in Christ, you are in the Spirit. Trust me on that. So what good are these verses that are contrasting the flesh and the Spirit? How can we use them today? I believe we can look at these two mindsets and if we are in Christ, the contrast between the two should fill us with joy because in the one, we see the life that we've been delivered from. I want to be clear that we still live in a fallen world. We still have bodies of flesh. So while we are in Christ, fully positionally in Christ, we are still not perfect. It has not been perfected in us. We will still fail. We will still sin. But it's power over us. The ability to be a slave master for us is no longer there. Instead, we will be continuing to grow in the things of the Spirit. Secondly, if you haven't truly put your faith in Christ, these verses can serve as a diagnostic tool. The same way that Matt was saying how the law works as a diagnostic. If you look at the evidence of your life, you can see where you're at. Um, If you haven't put your faith in Christ, the things of the flesh will continue to grow, they will continue to fester, they will continue to just wreak havoc in your life. And it's a sign that you are not in Christ, as you should be, the mindset on the flesh. Think of all the natural and fleshly desires. Romans one twenty nine through thirty two says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they get a, give approval to those who practice them. You know, with, as having a, a daughter that uh, is uh, at the age where she's very good at challenging me and things, I'm really excited to teach her this These verses and to point out that inventors of evil is right beside disobedient to parents Um, it's probably not going to earn me dad of the year awards but who cares it's a pretty inclusive list and if it wasn't all inclusive enough he threw in that inventors of evil Paul removes all doubt the mind that is set on these these things has an an inevitable end and in verse C, we see in verse six, we see, for the mind set on the flesh is death. This death is, is spiritual death. Yes, yes, but inevitably, it will lead to physical death as well. But the effects of spiritual death and, de- and decay will be marked by chaos and anger, hatred, lack of joy, and so much more in our lives. This mindset that we see in verses 7 and 8 is hostile to God because it doesn't submit. It cannot submit because one who is in the flesh cannot please God. But the mindset on the Spirit is one like we see in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things the mindset on these things also has a clear and evident end according to the text it says that the end for this for the life for the end for this mindset is life and peace spiritual life and peace yes one day we'll have eternal life and peace and that's wonderful but today right now if you are in Christ you can experience life you can experience peace you can experience joy you can have that today. And if we are in Christ, we should be having this today. Obviously, sometimes it's to different, you know, levels, but that is ours to claim today. A mindset on the spirit is not hostile to God. It does not submit to the promptings of the it does submit to the prompting of the spirit and it will please God. I think I'm going to stop there as far as just going down through these verses. Since we have communion, that way we can wrap up. So, worship team, you can come up as I just go over three things. Three things that I want to leave with you. Number one, exalt in your freedom. Brothers and sisters, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are free. Think back to your past life, think of the mind that was set on the flesh, all of the chaos, the turmoil. And death. Think back when you tried in your own power to please God, to keep the conditions of your parole, but you failed miserably. Think back to when you knew in your soul what the inevitable end was for you and how you were set against God when sin controlled your life. It was a taskmaster, it was a burden, it was a weight that none of us could bear. But if you are in Christ, that's not you anymore. Yes, you still will have struggles. You'll fall short of God's law. We all do. But there's no condemnation for you this morning. Whether you are in a season where you find yourself walking in victory over sin, or whether you find yourself in a season where you're struggling, and the battle is very difficult, regardless there is no condemnation. I cannot repeat that enough. Christ's work is complete, and His righteousness can now be your own. Live your life in the light of that truth. Remind yourself of it daily. Remind others of the freedom that they have in Christ. Exalt in it. Celebrate it. Be joyful in it. If we walk in that truth daily... We will live a life that is free. We will be free to love those around us. We will be free to live our lives with joy. We will be free to follow the Spirit and His promptings. You'll be free to seek those things that are good and lovely. And you will find yourself experiencing true life and peace. Number two, examine your mindset. Verse five says, we will live according to our mindset whether that is a mind that's set on the flesh or a mind that's set on the spirit, while I don't believe that if you have put your faith fully in Christ that you can live in a mindset of the flesh continually, there is the opportunity to live in various degrees to that. And it's very easy to slip into. So examine your mindset A mindset in the flesh may not always look exactly like the list from Romans 1. It can be more subtle than that. Perhaps your primary focus is making money. Making money is not a bad thing. But greed and loving the treasures of this world are. After all, you're in Christ. This world is not your home. Perhaps your mind is set on having the perfect family, at least from the outside. Well, first of all, good luck. Having a good, uh, perfect family is not a bad thing but pride sure is. That's something that I face constantly in my life is the need to maintain an image. That's pride. Is your mind set on the things of the Spirit? A mind that is set on loving those around you, being generous with your time and your resources. It doesn't seek out um, does it seek out the beauty around you and turn it back to praising God these are good things and there's so, much, there's so many more the third thing expect the result just like our physical walk will follow where our eyes are looking the same way in our spiritual walk um, it will follow where our mind is set one mindset will bring about chaos destruction, death the other will bring about life and peace If the mind that is set on the flesh is not a picture of your past life and you're still ruled by sin, please put your faith fully in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I urge you to. He has paid that full penalty. He has fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And he has made a way for you to have peace with God. There is no greater gift than that. But this morning, if you see that the mind set on the flesh is a picture of your past life, but you still find yourself drifting back and forth, be encouraged. That's no longer you. You're fighting a battle, as the song goes, you're fighting a battle that's already been won. Though your struggles may cause you temporal pain and consequence, just know, brothers and sisters, that there are brothers and sisters around you right now that want to help you. They want to come beside you. They want to walk with you. They want to help you To correct your path, to discover freedom in Christ, and get back to where you are fully living in alignment with Him once again, so that you might experience right now, in this moment, in your life, life and peace in the Spirit. This morning, we're going to take communion. Um, And as we gather together to remember this victory over sin, the fact that we are no longer under under condemnation and that Christ has won this for us, I just want to remind you, this communion, it does not save you. But if you are a Christian, there is a tremendous power in coming together around this table. So let's do that this morning with joy in our hearts for the freedom we have through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Brad, you guys can come up. I believe you're serving communion this morning. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this is my blood which is shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you that we are free in you, that there is no condemnation, that we can live a life right now where we are not subject to sin, where we are not serving sin, but that we can be free in the spirit. Father, I just pray that this morning this would be real in all of our lives. I just ask this morning, Father, as we close out the worship, if there is any heart here that has not put their faith in you, any heart that sees that past life, the chaos, you just draw them to you, Father. And Father, as we take of this communion, of this bread, and of this cup, Father, we just ask those of us that are in you that we would be reminded daily of the perfect life and the sacrifice of your shed blood and your broken body and that we might eternally every day daily be grateful for it. We just ask these things in your name. Amen.